Hello, everyone. You're listening to the Who Do You Think You Are podcast with your host, Kim Castroco. Please hit that follow button so that you will not miss another podcast episode. Every episode, we interview an ordinary but extraordinary person on their identity journey. An identity journey is your unique journey that you have taken in your life to get to where you are now. That journey is not only fascinating, but inspiring and encouraging to others. Because others can relate to your struggles and victories, which can give them hope and help them get unstuck. Ultimately, my goal is to empower people to not only understand, but truly embrace their true selves, unlocking their full potential and living a more authentic and fulfilling life. Knowing who you are can change the way you see the world and others around you. When you know who you are, you are powerful. Today, my guest is Lauren Watson. I met Lauren on the Tahoe Rim Trail on a Silver State Striders group run. She was fairly new to the running club, but I knew after spending a couple hours with her that day, she was a very special person. We have some special things in common. Lauren talked about Jimmy, her husband, and how awesome he was, and how they did a lot of adventuring together, riding motorcycles, camping, skiing. And over the last 10 years or so, Diane and I have gotten to know Lauren and Jimmy really well. Lauren is one of the most positive and encouraging people I have ever met, and she continues to be grateful even when faced with adversity. Lauren was born in Northern California. She's a runner, chemist, wife of a great husband, Jimmy Watson, and owner of two rescue dogs, Ivan and Ollie. She lives in Reno, Nevada, and she loves sandwiches. Please help me welcome Lauren Watson. Thank you so much for being on. I met Lauren trail running a number of years ago. It was a great day. It was a great day. I cannot believe that you ran with me. I'm so slow. No, you're not. <laughs> you guys taught me so much that day. Oh, did we? You and Cheryl. Oh, we had a, we we had had a blast. We had a great time. Yeah. yeah. We spent a good portion of the day out there, didn't we? We did. Yeah. And that's where I got to know you and actually know you before Jimmy, right? Yeah. And so that's why I am so excited to have you because we've now been friends for, oh my gosh. Probably, I think about eight years. Eight years. Yeah. And Man. Jimmy didn't run then. He did not run. No. No. So let's go back to the very beginning. Okay. Five, five years old. Wh five. Where'd you come from? I was born and raised in Carmichael, California. And then about the time I was 10, my family moved up to the foothills, like Placerville area. We had horses and lived on a small little, not a ranch, but we, enough property to have horses and my mom had a massive garden and always did, even when we lived in Sacramento. And I thought that was something when I got older, I thought it was shocking that not every family had fresh vegetables coming out of their yard. <laughs> and I have a older sister, Annie, and my dad, and we lived there and had horses and just had a good life together and take the horses out riding. And my sister was a figure skater growing up. A and figure skater? Yeah. <laughs> How's that work? You guys lived in Placerville. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they would. my mom would drive her once or twice a week down to the ice skating rink in Roseville, and she'd practice wow. and do that, and I'd stay home and be the horse girl. <laughs> Horses. I, I don't re I vaguely remember that now. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I grew up over there, and there's a lot of endurance riding, and I never participated in any, but I feel like it was always something I was aware of. And really? So, so you was, knew endurance riders? I knew of the events. I wouldn't say I knew anybody like 
I did more the like local shows and that sort of thing. Oh, did you horses really? and you showed yeah. horses? Yeah. So we had a couple of Arabians, one we raised from when he was a baby. So I broke him, like taught him as the first person to ride him and he threw me off quite a few times, but <laughs> we got it down. <laughs> he threw you off a horse. He threw the horse threw you off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. So a few times, but that's normal. They said you were tough. <laughs> you were tough. So did growing up, did you do any sports or, you know, what did you do is for, for extracurricular activities back then? Oh man, I think my family was so outdoorsy. My dad grew up rock climbing, riding motorcycles, skiing. So no traditional sports, I guess. I still have no idea how to kick a soccer ball, but <laughs> definitely took me rock climbing all the time skiing all the time just is whenever we could he'd take us up and we live not too far from Sierra Tahoe so maybe an hour or so so he'd take us up there and go skiing and then he'd take me rock climbing and he <laughs> this is probably my first introduction to ultra running he would take me on hikes and <laughs> we wouldn't always follow the trail he would think there'd be a better route to get to the top of the mountain and I've spent a few days with him out bushwhacking around and but it was so fun just a day with my dad out wandering around in the mountains and it was I think a good intro to what ultra running looks like. What did your dad do? He's a nurse. Both my parents are nurses. Both of them? Mm -hmm. Okay. So yeah. Were they nurses in Plasherville? My mom was and then my dad worked for UC Davis. Okay. So he was a pulmonary, he's a respiratory therapist also. So all the, he liked all the sports, pulmonary, respiratory therapy stuff. And liked working, he liked working with his patients on like, if they had COPD or something or breathing issues, he would help them get to exercising so they could get off some medication and work on that. And he was involved in some early lung transplants. And so he got to do quite a bit while he wow. was down there. So that's really Yeah, great. they're both retired now, so. Okay. Yeah. And so as a kid growing up, you would spend most of your weekends out and doing stuff, doing... Yeah, skiing or hiking or horseback riding and working in the gardens and going to church was always really important to us and something that, you know, made a big impact in my life when I was little and carried through all the stages to where we are today. Mm -hmm. so. That's awesome. Yeah. And so when you were, so from an early age up to, how long did you live in Placerville? Oh, I lived there until I was 19. I transferred from the junior college over to go to UNR. And it was great. We went skiing every weekend. And <laughs> <laughs> I had a roommate that snowboarded. And so it was fun. We had good friends, good people, very genuine people, just a community I felt like I really fit in with, with what getting outdoors and enjoying that and whatever it was. If it was summer, we'd go up and swim in, you know, the lakes in desolation and go hiking or snowboarding and skiing in the winter and whatever came along. Friends had boats. When I met Jimmy, a lot of his friends had boats. And so we'd go out to the lake with them and camp and pretty much just anything outside was the best. What you love so, to do. Yeah. Was there a time in elementary school or was there any times that you had in, in your growing up that were really impactful? Any moments you can think of that were, you know, maybe, maybe 
not always good, but is there, was there something you can remember back then that shaped who you are today? I think one thing I remember, I went to, <laughs> I went to take your daughter to work day with my dad and pretty much spent the day running around the hospital behind him. And he, we got on the elevator a few times and he knew everybody. He knew the janitor and asked how the family was doing and you know, knew the kids' names, and then the CEO of the hospital got on, and, you know, multiple PhDs, doctor, and he knew him and all of his family, and I think that was something I saw, probably didn't register as much then, but it didn't matter who it was. It was, or what status they held. My dad was equally invested and committed to knowing them and caring about them, and there was no difference in tone or attitude towards that either person. Just, he was who he was, and treated everybody regardless of their position with so much respect and care. And that stands out as something that like, man, I wouldn't be like that, you know? That's so so cool. Yeah. Yeah. That forms, that forms a lot of how you treat others. Yeah. And it's like, I look at it now and I still hope I can reach that standard someday, you know, like (laughs) I have good moments and bad moments, but like it was, it was cool to see. And I think he wasn't, Nobody else is in the elevator. No one cared if he talked to the person or not, you know, but he just knew him and he'd been there. I think he worked there 30 years and knew just about everybody by the time he wow. retired. What, what do you think? Did he ever talk about that? Why he's like that? Was there something in his past or how maybe it was how he was brought up? I don't know. He never said why, but he always impressed on us that it doesn't matter what someone like people are people. It doesn't matter. He said, you know, they had a lot of people off the streets come into the hospital because it's in downtown Sacramento. And he'd always say, you know, whoever it is, they're my patient and I take care of them. And if I can make their day a little better, you know, like whether they were someone who had abused IV drugs or, you know, someone real wealthy from the same area, he said, if I can treat them respectfully and make their day a little bit better because everyone's in and scared of where they're at. He said that's that was his job. So awesome. it was, yeah. And both him and my mom treat everybody. They come across really well. Yeah. So it was definitely a family thing. I just saw it so blatantly that day at the hospital with my dad, I think. Yeah. So in high school, did you, I don't know if you said you didn't do any any organized sports. No. <laughs> no. Just running around on the weekends yeah. and having fun. Mm-hmm. So when you came over to UNR, mm-hmm. you know, and now you went to junior college where? At Folsom Lake Community College, super close to where I grew up. And it was inexpensive. And my mom stayed home with us while we were growing up. So it was a lot less expensive way to get us through college. And it was good. It was, I got a lot out of the way and kind of figured out my path and all Did of that. So. And what path is that? I'm a chemist, so I do water chemistry. I test mostly domestic wells for people in Nevada. And I actually had a very influential chemistry teacher at Folsom. And she was just made it really simple and easy and fun. And I loved her class and just kept pursuing it. So Really? Mm-hmm. So what made her so much fun? Oh, you know, when you're 18, she loves playing music and had... She just broke everything down really well, so it wasn't tedious. It made sense, and you could, like, reason through it really well. And I like math, too, so I think chemistry is a lot of math. But she was just invested in 
us like as students and I think personally also and she just she's just always happy and friendly and fun to be around you know a little laid back like more so than like some serious professors right let's play music and would help with you with whatever and nothing ever ruffled her and just so is she a big part of where you went into the career you did yeah yeah actually I don't I think that she made it so simple and so accessible and I liked chemistry and you know (laughs) It sounded a lot more exciting. I thought there'd be more explosions and stuff <laughs> than what I run into, but it's fun. It's cool. I work in the lab and have all my friends that I work with in the lab. And so we have, you know, a good time together. So. Awesome. Yeah, because, yeah, you know, people that aren't chemists have a hard time relating to having fun being a chemist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably the people I work with. And the work is more, at this point, more mechanical. So if an instrument breaks, then I have to troubleshoot it and figure out what's wrong and change some parts out and fix that. So that's fun. I like that stuff. So, <laughs> so you're in college. You're, mm-hmm. you've, you've, you've had a good experience in junior college. You're going up to UNR, big old UNR. Yeah. <laughs> How was that experience? The transition? Yeah. It was so fun. I had an awesome roommate that we got randomly placed together and her family took me in like I was one of their many kids and we were pretty much like sisters through all of college and had a good time and she was a snowboarder and I was a skier and we lived together until I graduated. Mm -hmm. So it was, we had a lot of fun and she was a music major and I was a chemistry major so we didn't cross over a ton in academics. <laughs> she had an incredible voice, and I have zero musical talent or rhythm. So I think sometimes it works out better if you guys, if you're a little opposite of your roommate. And we just got along really well. We wanted to do the same stuff, and just had a lot of fun and good friends and good people in Reno. You know. Yeah, yeah. You know, I moved there in '85. Oh, okay. Long time, you know. So I've seen Reno grow. And yeah. All I ever knew was the campus the yeah. first, you know, five years. And I was always so, I just loved, I Did loved you like campus. it? I love the campus. I do too. Especially in the fall. Yes. It's so beautiful. There's nothing like it. Yeah. Yeah. We have one of the most beautiful campuses. We do. Yeah. Yeah. So enter in meeting Jimmy. Yeah. Your best friend. Yeah. Yeah. So, definitely my better half. <laughs> I think everybody would agree. He's the best. I don't know. I, the, I think you, you rival him a little bit. <laughs> but yeah, we met the same roommate and I. We'd both been raised in church and, you know, you're real busy in college. You just, some things go to the wayside. And when your priorities have looked like skiing and snowboarding more for a couple years, then... I think it was as we were getting closer to graduation, she said, hey, this girl invited me to a Bible study. Do you want to go? Or she she went, and then it was through InterVarsity, the college campus ministry. And so she kind of brought me along, and then she had, we went to this weekend away in Davis, and she had talked me into going. I didn't really want to go. And then, you know, what do you do when you're, 19 and or maybe I was 20 and you know everywhere is an opportunity to meet someone to date yeah (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
So we saw this guy, and he looked like he's probably into snow sports and active. And we were playing football, which is hilarious that I, neither Jimmy or I play football or even know anything about football. But somehow that was like the activity to do. And so everybody's playing. And I got knocked down, and the super nice guy named Jimmy came over and helped me stand, helped me up, <laughs> and very chivalrous. And then my roommate was, she was super outgoing and just beautiful and fun and big laugh, like just super fun gal. And so she's like, oh, hey, hey, babe. So like, do you ski or snowboard or anything? And <laughs> we had, had kind of an agreement if a guy's a skier, because I was a skier, I could date him. And if a guy's a snowboarder, she was a snowboarder, so she got to date him. So luckily for me, Jimmy said, oh yeah, I ski. <laughs> And I think, like, at that point in my life, you know, my goal was to meet a guy who skied and <laughs> believed in God. So my... You didn't have very many no, check marks, did no. you? <laughs> so Jimmy obviously hit those and then some, you know, and it's it's crazy what God can do when you follow, fall into his plan, you find what you're not even looking for. And I think I, Jimmy has so many qualities I didn't even know I was looking for in someone. Interesting. Um, Explain that a little bit more. I think like as we've got, you know, spent a couple few years together, the way he treats people, it's exactly like how my parents treat people. And the way he is the exact same person, whether he's, you know, at church, on a podcast, out running, at the gym, whatever it is, he's exactly the same person. And he is just so dependable and really funny. His sense of humor is like second to none. And, then, and just fun to be around. You know, we have, he taught me how to ride dirt bikes. And, you know, we went skiing together all the time. And just somebody who, he looks out for me so much and wants me to go do all the fun activities with him, which I didn't realize was something I was looking for so much. And I think like in our faith too, it's really important to both of us that, you know, when you get involved in church, you can end up in just a Christian bubble where the only people you talk to are Christians and it becomes kind of that self-reinforcing group like, of people, which is awesome to have those people. You need them to support you and help you grow and encourage you in the right direction. But all of our non-Christian friends that we knew from skiing and snowboarding and everything else, they are still people we love so much. And so not staying in a super tight, more selective bubble was really something that I think neither of us knew that we valued a lot. And, but it's something that like, we love people, like we don't care what your background is, what your faith is. Like if you're our friend, you're our friend. Right. So right. he has lives out that quality a lot too. And so I think like some of those things I didn't see as being, that's not something I was like actively looking for, but God like brought us together and we have both having that value and seeing that now it's really special that we both feel that way. And we love our church people too. Don't get me wrong. They're the best. You know, they are the ones with the wisdom that helps you and yeah. all that. But but they're people. Of course. They're just yeah. people. Like Everybody's they're people. people. Yeah. 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 So we love them all. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's so great. So as far as you know, I'm talking a little bit more about identity. Mm-hmm. Was it attractive that that Jimmy, did you feel like Jimmy knew who he was? Yes. Well, I don't know if he knew 
like knew who he was, but it's an interesting question, isn't it? It is. I don't know if he knew, but I know he's grown, of course, but he hasn't changed. He's and he I think that like seeing he is who he is, whether it's like I said, at church, at the mm-hmm. gym, at skiing or which we don't really ski anymore but <laughs> but anywhere he is he's the same so I know that that identity and who he is and how he acts and carries himself is so genuine yeah and which really makes an interesting point that as we grow up and you know knowing Jimmy too and knowing others that we've have talked to it's not something that people actually think about as they're growing up their identity it's when you look back and you say oh Wow, you know, your dad. Yeah. There's definitely something that gets put in you by by you know, by osmosis almost because you you're with them. It's an equality you admired and it it does it tells a lot about this the journey. Yeah. And knowing a little bit about Jimmy's story, yeah. the two of you, you know, coming together that that to me is is really important that you look back and go, "Oh, yeah, okay, that really made sense now." Because we were both very much who you, where you wanted to go and, and where you came from. Mm-hmm. And uh, some people don't have that, that, that awareness or they, they had a rough life in their, in their growing up years, their, their child years. So I think it's, a, it's obviously a blessing that you guys met up and have been a team. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's the best. <laughs> so now, we're, so tell everybody where you work now. Oh, okay. So I work at the Nevada State Public Health Lab. I do water testing, mostly for domestic wells, and people bring the samples to us. It would be fun to go get them, but I think right now we're most famous, a different department. I didn't do it, but we did a lot of the COVID testing the last few years, so that's kind of what... Was that makeshift? They put you in that? I didn't do it. I don't have the right license for it. It's a clinical license that you have to have, so I did. I helped with paperwork and stuff, the stuff I was allowed to help with, Mm. Uh, but it was... A big, that's just kind of why anyone would have heard of us in the last few years. That's pretty, pretty low key. You guys are underground. Yeah. Yeah. Our Literally. Build, our building's actually halfway underground. <laughs> so I'm going to go back into some of the things of how we met running. And yeah. there was, there's been some, that's been a part of your life. I a love A big part of your life, mm-hmm. life now. Take us on that journey a little bit. How did you start running? Oh, and why? <laughs> my dad always ran. And so after college, one thing I knew was I was not going back to school. It wasn't, I loved college, but the school aspect, I didn't love so much. <laughs> so we, but I still wanted to have goals. You know, I like working hard and my family always worked hard. Everybody, my sister works super hard. She's, you know, works just does incredible stuff with in business and got her master's and super successful and my parents always worked hard and whether it was at work or around the house everybody worked hard and I like having goals and checking boxes and getting stuff done are you the more analytical one yes okay definitely yeah so organization maybe a little too much (laughs) Uh, (laughs) but then so I wanted to have goals and something to be working on. And so I talked to my dad and decided I wanted to run a half marathon. And my roommate at the time, a different one, still another really good friend of mine. We actually just talked yesterday. She decided she would do it with me. And 
so we trained together and my dad decided he would run it and my godfather decided he would run it and so I started doing that and we all ran it and we had a great day. My friend and I stayed together the whole time and my dad kicked our butts at it. (laughs) (laughs) So it was a great, it was a great experience. I think I remember in training, you know, I called my dad and, you know, I hadn't run a mile before. And so then did that and maybe it'd been years since I ran a mile. I don't know. He was as excited for me when I called him and told him I finished a four mile long run as he was. You know, not in like a he was condescending way, excited. but he was stoked, you know? And yeah. So, and he knew what a big deal that was, you know, the four or five oh, miles yeah. when you start running, that's yeah. a big deal. A big... Um, so that was fun. And then I think the next thing we ran, he and I ran CIM, the marathon together twice. And that's California. International marathon okay, in Sacramento. Yeah. yeah. Close to home. So we both, we ran that twice. I think probably... Once before Jimmy and I got married, and then probably once after we got married. And Jimmy was super supportive. Never went to run himself, but he said he would eat a donut for every mile I ran. <laughs> Which is probably why I had to start running. <laughs> right. That's a lot of donuts. It is now, especially. So he, so we ran CIM a couple times, and then I kind of run a race, take a year off, run again, and... Then I ended up, I broke my leg, my knee in a dirt bike race over in Sacramento when I was 29. And which I remember because I took a year probably to rehab it. And I figured for my 30th birthday, I wanted to run 30 miles. And it would also like prove to myself that I'd recovered from my knee injury. And so... 50K is 31, which is close enough. Right. Right? So (laughs) I found one in February. Actually, the friend that I ran the half marathon with, it was actually on her birthday. So I remembered that when I was out running it. I was like, oh, I have to text Marinda. It's her birthday today. (laughs) And I did everything wrong in training. Is that when I met you? I ran it before I met you. That's okay. So luckily, so I ran. I didn't know to eat. I didn't. I carried a handheld. I had nothing. I almost got lost. Oh my gosh. It took, it was, a, yeah. It was, I couldn't walk for a week. I couldn't like step off a curb for a couple of days. But I made it. At the start of the run, this girl started talking to me. And, oh, you're from Reno? I'm from Reno. Oh, yeah. Oh, you should come run with us. And it was Casey. There's some argument between Casey and I over who started the conversation. <laughs> but I think if you've ever run with Casey and I, we know who started the conversation. That's right. Yeah, That's right. it was definitely her. <laughs> but super fun. And, you know, I think she was so, her energy was so contagious. You know, anyone who's met Casey knows that. And I got done. I was never going to run again. But I couldn't. I think, you know, she'd made such an impression on me with her friendliness and outgoingness. And so, you know, she probably doesn't know this, but I stalked her on Facebook for a while. And then to see if I like, you know, I found her and we had a mutual friend from college and which we had figured out when we were running and because Reno's so small. Yeah. So I kind of, I found her on Facebook and then I was like, had found Trekkie Meadows running and it kind of lurked on there for a while, but it's intimidating when you're so new and you know you did everything wrong and you know that you don't know anything, you know, and you see all these people doing incredible things and you don't know, you're like, oh man, 
I'm a mess over here, you know? <laughs> but she, so I found her. She's like, oh, yeah, come run with me. And so she took me out on a long run and had a great day, fed me a bunch of candy. So that was fun. And <laughs> she was training for that run around Tahoe, that 72 miles. Mm-hmm. So got to know her, came back a couple times. And, you know, the group's so special. Like I went and I was the slowest person. They had to wait forever. It was when Derek and Katie and Mike were all training for Western States. Western and, States 100, yeah. yeah. So they were all, you know, in top form, but they all still waited for me. And at the end of that run, I remember Jamie Fields. Yep. She said, she's like, make sure you come back. And I called Jimmy and I was like, these people might be a cult, but I really like them. <laughs> <laughs> so I came back and, you know, everybody has just taught me so much. Like, yeah. And running with you and Cheryl that day. So then my dad decided he wanted to run a 50K. And this is still that same spring. And Jimmy was r- racing Vegas to Reno. And so I was like, well, if he's out training, I'll train for something myself. So my dad and I trained for Sierra Crest 50K. Okay. That was in like July or August, I think. July probably. And trained and ran it together. Like, finished the whole thing, stayed step by step, and so that was my second 50K, and it went way better than the first one. <laughs> so. so you hadn't run with the group much, though, by then, before that second? Mm, a little bit. So I had run with you and Cheryl that day, and I'd done a few long runs, and I'd met John and a few a few other people, yeah. but I'd only maybe a few months, Yeah, not too long. You said something that's very interesting to me. When you were looking at the people in the group from afar, mm-hmm. you said it's very intimidating. What got you to get over the hump and actually go and start running with us, with, with the group? Mm. What, what was in you that, that sparked that getting over the uncomfortableness or the fear or whatever it is? I think some of it was like having that connection to Casey, like personally. I think, like, knowing, like, I, and for the first six or seven months I ran with the group, I don't think she was ever there. It was when she was in her, like, summer break, Mm -hmm. so she was out traveling and all that, and so she wasn't, she was never there, but I think having that interaction with her and knowing what kind of person she was and the more personal invite, I think, that was huge, and then I think... I think like a weird curiosity to know like if I could learn how to do this too you know Mm -hmm. growing up knowing about the endurance world with the horses like you knew about the Tevis Cup but there were some crazy people who also ran it on foot you know Mm -hmm. yeah 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 so curiosity I think so yeah. yeah and like knowing that there was a friendly face at the group and a girl that I had really enjoyed chatting with and would like to hang out with more. And so I think having that there too Mm -hmm. was like, she was such a good example of what the character of the group is that it made me intrigued and want to be part of that. That's awesome. So So going that, you know, going a little farther now, you obviously have run quite a few races since then. A couple. Yeah, (laughs) quite a few. So tell me about the ramp up or the time to get to Western States. Yeah, so that was... Before I do that one, I want to know why you wanted to run Western States. 
I think that same curiosity, like, can I? Like, I don't know if I can. And I think it sounds so crazy. And having grown up around here and having skied at Olympic Valley and growing up over close to Auburn and we'd ride our horses around the cool area. You know, we'd stage at the firehouse with the horses. And I think my dad and I ran the Olmstead Loop a couple times for our marathon training. And like, so the pieces were all there, but it sounded so like unfathomable, you know? And to think I could even run a hundred miles, much less that hundred miles. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think there's a weird curiosity there. And then I think just as time rolled on, I think, you know, at the Striders, we're a Western States group. We love it. Yeah. We're all about it. Yeah. It's it's a drug. Yeah, it is. And we're so close to it. And yeah. all the time everyone puts in working at it. And yeah. it's addictive, I think, and exciting and yeah. fun. And yeah. it's like the holy grail of... Yeah. Ultra running too. It's the epitome of the human spirit. Yeah. 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 Let me ask you another question before we get any farther than that. Because I think the question I would have for you on this curiosity thing, do you think this is something you've had throughout your whole life? I think so. Yeah. Would you say that there's other things that you've had the same kind of, like, I don't know if I could do this. Is that a motivator for you? I think so. I think like finding my limits has always been interesting. And I think just the hard work, like at work, I love finding ways to be more efficient and get more done. And so I think like that, how much can I do? Like is a question I have and like how, like how, how far can I go yeah. or how long can I do that for? Or yeah. So yeah, I think that's probably something that, that that's really drives cool. me. So Let's go back to the race. So mm-hmm. you've obviously this this spirit in you that a lot we find this a lot in people that do endurance at sports. I mean it's it's there the the curiosity. Some of them are, you know, I'm, I'll never forget when I was introduced to the to the club. <laughs> and how long did you run with the group when I started? Five or so years, six years. Oh, okay. So. The very first meeting I ever went to was a Christmas party, and Lana Monroe asked me if I was an alcoholic or a drug addict. <laughs> yeah. And gotta love the honesty. Yeah, and you know, for me, I'm a, I have a very addictive personality, mm. and for me, I always want to know what's at the top of that hill, what's at the end of that oh, thing. Yeah, that's the curiosity I have. Yeah, can I do that? I think I could do that. I don't yeah. even know if I could do it, but I think I could do it. But you want to find out. If I you want can. to find out if I can. Yeah, or find out what's over there. Yeah. Or... Yeah. yeah. God put that that curiosity into me that I, I can almost think in my mind I can do anything. You know, yeah. I had that with golf. I thought I was going to play in the like PGA. I was a horrible golfer. <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. But you have to find out. You have to find out. Yeah. yeah. So cool, right? Yeah. So tell us a little bit about the story of Western States. Yeah. So it took me four years of qualifying, five years if you count our lovely pandemic, so the first race I ran to get a qualifier was Canyon's 100K. And a bunch of my friends had ran that day. And I think I got a qualifier by about 30 minutes. And I think it was another one where I said, I'm never running again. I think Derek Beanfelt said, oh, you, good job, you got a qualifier. And I was like, I don't want it. <laughs> Until three days later. Yes, 
Yeah. And then, you know, a couple weeks later, the host, I can't wait to do it, you know. And I think one thing, and I've been in, uh, denial's another big piece in my life. And I'd been in denial that I actually wanted to run Western States. Looking back, I knew all along I wanted to try it. But I remember the night before I ran Canyons, we went to the Western States Warehouse. We were with John and Lon, I think the Coopers. And they showed us the warehouse and the room with all the... I guess the, all the... The, yeah the yearly yes the what do you call that the programs. programs yeah all the programs and like they were from before i was born and just uh, you know which is even crazier with all the technology we have with shoes and packs and everything when 13 people would start out on this thing you know like it's just it was so cool and i think and john and lon you know they had their war stories and i guess they there all night listening you know and i remember we got it back in jimmy's truck and i was like I want a qualifier. Like, I want to run that. You know, and then the next night I'm like, no, I don't want this stupid qualifier. <laughs> so that was definitely like the tipping point of like admitting like, yeah, I want to do yeah. that. You know, so. And for somebody who doesn't know, the race goes from Olympic Valley Palisades, mm -hmm. goes all the way over the crest, Sierra Crest, yeah. and then down to Auburn. Mm -hmm. And so it's 100 miles, 100 point whatever, one miles, whatever it is. Yeah. And so go ahead. Yeah, so it goes, yeah, Olympic Valley, and then it just follows the river down. Yeah. Through some big canyons, and, you know, it's a net downhill, but there's quite a bit of climbing in there, too, and hot canyons and snow. I didn't have snow when I ran, but really hot canyons. It's beautiful. Just you feel so small out on, like, such a big piece of land that... So, so take us through it. Through Western States? Yeah. So... Or do you want it the rest of my lead up to it? Lead up. Okay, lead up. So I went, so that fall, Jimmy and I started out on a dirt bike trip. And it was going to be two and a half, three weeks. And on the third day, we were in Wyoming. I crashed and broke my leg. And it was in my knee, my tibial plateau. So it required six weeks on crutches. And... You're not telling the whole story. <laughs> what am I leaving out? How far did you ride with a broken leg? About 100 miles. Yeah. <laughs> Jimmy, oh man, Jimmy's so patient. Because you're out in the middle of, the, of Wyoming, and we had, we actually had a hotel room booked that night, like Super 8 or something, you know, get a shower and get cleaned up. And I'd fallen in mud. I stuck my leg out to catch myself. And so I fell into the mud, and I was covered in mud, just absolutely soaked in it. And, but... Like, it hurt. I knew something was wrong with my knee, but it wasn't, it wasn't like where you're going to pass out, you know? You hear about that with people where they're like throw up or pass out. And so it was pretty bad, but not like unmanageable. <laughs> so, but I couldn't lift my leg up. So Jimmy, because I couldn't pick my leg up to get it over the bike, Jimmy would get on one side and grab my heel and help me lift my leg over the bike because I couldn't put my weight on it and kick my other leg over. So he would kind of like, help me slide on the bike and you know once you're on and going it's not too bad it was my shifting foot so that was a little tough you know the way the brake was like pulling up on the shifter was pretty painful but once we got cruising it was you're just sitting there so mm. that's fine <laughs> so we did that cut the trip short obviously 
And Jimmy's so nice. I remember that night when I was like, well, maybe we shouldn't call it yet. Maybe we should wait till the morning and see if it's really that bad. And he's like, okay. <laughs> All along he knows, we're going home. And I knew too, you yeah. know, so. But he was so nice. And, you know, we ended up, we rented a U-Haul because we parked our truck in Wendover. So rented the U-Haul and drove back and got into Rock and got x-rays. And I didn't need surgery. I've been really lucky. I haven't needed surgery on anything I've broken. There's other stories. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but like how Western states worked before the last couple of years was you had to maintain your tickets. If you missed a year of qualifiers, you went back to zero. So I already had one ticket and wanting to hold on to that one precious ticket. I wanted to run another qualifier the next year. And so it was, that was October 6th or 7th, I think. And I think we did, I remember we did our Strider drawing mm -hmm. that I put in for, because Annie and Katie talked me into it. I put in for it, and I remember I was still on crutches. I ended up with six weeks on crutches, which atrophied everything pretty much, but, you know, hobbling around. So I was still on crutches. Andy got the spot, which was awesome. And I was his backup, so I was really hoping he did not get injured because I was not going to be in shape for it. But then we went to the main lottery, and my one ticket obviously didn't get in. And I, after that, I mean, it's that afternoon. I think the Miwok lottery started. was like a day or two after the state's lottery. So I put in for that, not really thinking about it. And, you know, I think John, I run everything by John. You know, I, he's taught me so much and has such a good, I follow all of his plans and if something is injured or I need to rearrange personal stuff and by running around that, he knows how to do it. And, you know, I've always been successful with his plans. And so I run everything by him and I didn't run it by him. And I felt, I felt bad. And I was like, well, I'll just see if I even get in on the lottery. And then... A few days later, you know, they did the lottery and I got an email that I got in and I was like, oh, I should probably text John. And I'm scrolling through the list of everyone else who got in and I saw his name on the list and I was like, oh, he probably already knows I got in. <laughs> so we ended up running Miwok. We were together for a few miles that next spring. I think it was seven months to the day that I broke my leg and we were together for a little bit and then he took off and Annie paced me and I made it in with 45 minutes or so to get a qualifier. And so then stuff just started rolling from there. Awesome. So. And so you got in your, so tell us a little about the race. At Miwok? No. Oh, Western States? Man, it was awesome and so hard. I had run another hundred that was very flat. So I felt reasonably confident and... I got in because we have the strider spot, you know, for volunteering. So I did feel a lot of pressure from that. Not that anyone else put it on me, but that so many people had worked so hard to have this spot and lots of people who may never have the opportunity or chance to run Western States. And I wanted to honor their hard work by putting in the best effort I could and making sure that you know, the day of anything can go wrong, but I wanted to make sure that I never, I didn't slack in the meantime and that I just honored it well. And like, I mean, it's decades of hard work, 
goes into us having that. And I just felt like I owed so many people like to do it as best I could to put in my best effort every day in training. And it's such a special gift. And, but it's also, it's hard because you <laughs> like Western States is a big deal and you don't know, you know, it's reasonable to expect six, seven, eight years to get in. So it could be your one shot. It could be the one time in your life you ever run it. So you have that. It's like your one day, you know, if you wake up and get COVID or wake up sick or with a stomach bug or you eat the wrong thing the night before, like anything could take you out of this one shot. And so luckily everything went really smooth leading up to it. Like life was pretty chill. Everything. I missed maybe two or three long runs for some colds or maybe they were half long runs, you know, just a little shorter. Our friend Miles had done all my strength training. So I was getting a lot stronger and he was helping me figure out the imbalances I had from all my broken legs. And he did a ton of work and set me up really well with that. So he, I think the combination of him doing my strength training and John organizing all my running plans, it all just came together really well. And it was, it ended up being hot and I hate the heat, which it's known for, but it was, what was it? Was it like the seventh hottest year? It was hot. It was so hot. It was really hot. It was, yeah. So I ran into some issues I hadn't experienced before with some stomach problems. My feet fell apart. I've never had a blister in anything. And my feet fell apart in the first 30 miles, which conveniently, some of our friends were working at Robinson in <laughs> medical. So they taped my feet up there. So I got to hang out with them for a little bit unexpectedly. But that was nice. I love the high country. You know, the lupin was still blooming and there was no snow, but everything's wet and it's just so beautiful. The views and you can't beat the Sierras, you yeah. know, the, and it's just surreal. The like day you've thought of forever right, is there and you're going and I think your wedding day, you feel incredibly supported and like everybody in your life is there to support you and your spouse right. and all that. And I think my Western States was like second to the wedding day of support. <laughs> I felt, you know, like yeah. I think my aunts were all texting me and cousins and my sister flew out from the East coast with my brother-in-law and their kids. And I hadn't met my, one of my nephews yet. He was only a couple months old and which is also like more pressure to get to the finish yeah, line. Yeah, right. You yeah. know? So it was, yeah, it was getting a little rough. Coming up El Dorado, my stomach went out, which I hadn't really experienced before. But So you experienced a lot of things you hadn't experienced. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd never had a blister and the back of my heels completely. The you have pretty, I have pretty big calluses on the back of my heels and they just ripped off from being wet all day because you wear the ice bandanas. And, they, so, and I don't know. I know that having your feet wet all day isn't good, but I don't know what else you do when it's, almost a hundred degrees yeah. other than wear ice, you know? And yeah. I think the first aid station, mile nine, mm -hmm. uh, Lions Ridge, you know, like Sean and Chaz and Abby were all there and stoked. And I got ice there. It was hot already. And so I was wet, you know, melt, ice melting down from nine to a hundred, you know? And so your feet just get soggy and start falling apart. And so I'd never experienced that. And only one other time had I had some stomach problems and it was just at the very end of a race and I was like, oh, that's weird. And then 
it was over. But so that hit, like, El Dorado. I remember running down into El Dorado, and that side of the wall is so steep, and it's so exposed, and the sun was hitting it as I was there, and, like, it just, it would, the sun would hit you, and then it would hit that wall, and it was all preheated from the day, and then, so then it would, like, radiate back at you, and just, Oh, it's so hot. And so even like running down the hill, I took some walking breaks a few times and then coming back up the other side out of El Dorado, I threw up once. <laughs> and then I was like, it's okay. My crew doesn't know that I threw up. So I'll, <laughs> I just won't tell them and it'll be fine. It'll come back. And then I saw a friend, she was crewing another friend of ours who was running that day also. And I saw her and I was like, oh yeah, everything's great. And then immediately turned around and threw up again. <laughs> I was like, okay, I guess I can't hide it. But, man, your crew, like, so I was later than I expected at Michigan Bluff, which meant Jimmy got to jump in with me, which was awesome to have him for the last canyon. And, you know, John, I had paced, Jimmy and I had paced him the year before. So he was like, you know, you can just, you know, as long as you walk well and jog a little, like, he's like, just walk this section, get your stomach back, and you'll be fine. You can walk it in, you know, you'll be okay, just you know, move with purpose and you'll be fine. And Annie Trent had taught me a trick years ago where you fill a soft flask with soda when you can't eat anymore. So I filled soft flask with ginger ale and we left Michigan Bluff. I had to get my feet retaped at Michigan Bluff and the balls of my feet and toes had started blistering pretty bad too. Just from the moisture. Yeah. And so I got those retaped, got some ginger ale going, went through Volcano and got to Forest Hill, which was awesome to see everybody. And I'd also started chafing really bad, so I had to change clothes in front of somebody's house in Forest Hill. So sorry, people. But got that taken care of, and Jimmy took me down to the river. And I don't think I was, I wasn't the best runner for him. And he was trying to tell me stories, and I was just like, I don't know. Like, I'm sorry. I'm so tired. Like, I just need to focus. Like, I can't think about a story right now. And so I think we ran in silence for so long. And, but it's, you know, when you're running, like just having that person there. And then I think too, some spouses could get really cranky if you say, no, just stop talking to me. You know, like you can't tell every spouse that. And hopefully I said it a little more politely than that. (laughs) But he... Like, he just did exactly what I needed, and he was encouraging, and I could tell, you know, because there's a, the split times, and so I could tell I was making up time on the cutoffs and making up time on the 30-hour pace because there's, like, two different ones. And I could tell when we get to aid stations, I could tell he was getting excited, you know, just to the tone of his voice, and he'd say, okay, now you're so far ahead of 30-hour pace. You're so far ahead of 30-hour pace, you know, and I could tell he's getting excited. And so even in our, like, quietness, it was – so awesome to have him just it's awesome when you have a spouse and friends I think who want your goal is sometimes more than you do for you and hold you to it like when you're in the moment and you don't like I never wanted to drop out but it got rough you know and nobody was gonna let me make that choice and there was no question like we're just gonna go and I know spouses have a hard time seeing their spouse hurt. Yeah. And so I just feel really lucky that, you know, I have somebody who pushes me and wants my goal for me as bad as I do. Isn't that great? If not better, yeah. you know. 
So he took me down to the river and we crossed the river, which is probably the coolest part of Western States outside the finish. But <laughs> then Katie took me a few miles. I had everybody, you know, everybody had run down to see me at the other side of the river. And so we all hiked together for a while. And then Katie got me eaten again. And then John was injured that year, I think a calf thing. And I asked if he'd take me like the last few miles and he said, Oh no, you know, only if you're like getting close to the cutoffs, which I hadn't intended to be, of course, no one intends to be close to the cutoffs, but I ended up closer than I expected. So I came through pointed rocks and he was, you know, had his pack on and, you know, when you finish in the golden hour, the 29th hour, everybody gets a 29ers t-shirt. And so John was there with his pack on ready to go. And he had the 29ers t-shirt on that he got in the year before when I paced him in. And it was just really awesome to have him the last little bit talking, you know, we talked about what it means to get to know hands and you know, you're going to make it. And I think like, you know, the craziness of the golden hours coming if you've ever been to Western States. And so I think those last few miles where you're like, okay, I'm good. Like I can relax. Like, I just need to walk really well the last few miles. And I remember when I had paced him, it was, like, overwhelming to me, like, thinking about how far of a journey he'd made, you know? Thinking about growing up over in the Auburn area or close to Auburn and then thinking about running all the way from, you know, Olympic Valley down. And so it was cool to be in that same spot with him and thinking about it. And, you know, we got across the White Bridge or the No Hands and then Tim Tweetmeyer and Bob Crowley were headed out, you know, so we knew we were on the right side of it. Uh, Mm -hmm. And then got up to the top and I think my dad was the first person I saw there and just, man, it just, I think every person I've ever known was there. (laughs) (laughs) And so, yeah, it was just a great, great way to finish it off. Yeah. So how was that? running around the because when you finish you finish on a track Mm -hmm. how was that it's so surreal you know it feels like a dream even now and like you want to get there and be done but you also like it's like the last 90 or 100 miles because it's 100.2 you know that 0.2 around the track the last 100 miles (laughs) barely even happened because all you can think about is that you made it and you can't believe you made it and yeah just it's probably one of the coolest. I think when I ran in with John, I was like, this has to be the coolest experience I've ever had at a sporting event. Yeah. And then I feel like, and the same, you know, like having like my parents and my in-laws and good friends, like all at the track. And my sister was out there with the baby I hadn't met yet in his stroller. And I remember running down the road and I'm like, oh, that's cute. They're holding up a sign for their aunt. And then I'm like, oh, I'm Aunt Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> so it was really special. Just That's so cool. So cool. And you want to soak it in. And but then you also want to get done. And I feel like I was just so blown away that I had made it. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. So that experience, and that's an incredible pinnacle of, of sport and you know what's really amazing about that is very few people get cheered in their life like that. Yeah. And you have to pay a price for it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, such a such an amazing accomplishment. There's so much more that you learn through the whole entire thing that it's, you know, it's just amazing, I'm sure. And I think, yeah, the runners get cheered, but probably the crew and pacers should get cheered 
even more, <laughs> you know? Like, my job is just, that day, it was just to get from, to just go run. Yeah. And. What do you think the number one thing you took away from it was? Man, I think the whole, like, ultra running in general, and I think it's kind of terrifying in the rest of life, is how much we just limit ourselves. Like, because I try not to put too many limits. I think, you know, a lot of limits I would put on myself in running before are not there as much now. But I think that in other areas of my life, I let myself off the hook, you know? Interesting. Explain yeah. that. Um, I think just if it's something I don't really want to do, I might not put in my best effort and not reach my potential. But if my potential, looking at how I thought about Western States 10 years ago and being scared to go join the Strider weeknight runs, if I have been able to, with the help of a ton of people, learn and grow and become, be able to run the stuff I've been able to, I can probably do that in a whole lot of other areas too. Like, wow. you know, if it's, a new position at work or something like that. I think it's more like a want to more so than, or, you know, like I think that, so I feel like that it's, which isn't like a fun realization to have, but yeah, I think that's like my biggest takeaway. So you're capable of doing a lot more. You're capable of doing a lot more. I think you so. you think you can. Yeah. And it's whether, and so the, it's on me. Like, am I going to choose to put in that effort and work or am I going to choose to let it slide? Right. And you can't put in like right. ultra running levels of work everywhere in your life. But which like if you choose to, you probably can. Very good. And that's, it's you know, amazing. but you need like all the people, you know, I think that's what was like one of the best things is you have all these people. And when you have the group like we have, what their belief in each of us does for us and so they, you set a goal, but then, and they want you to set the goal, especially, you know, Katie really wants you to set goals, you know, she loves those. And, but they, like, but then they come with you on it. Yeah. And so like, they hold you to your goal, but they help you get there. Yeah. And I think that that is so special. Yeah. Like, there's so many times I think where we get... Like, I want to pour that into other people. Yeah. Like, we, there's not everywhere, not everywhere in life do you have that kind of yeah, support. But I right. think, you know, I think Jimmy and I have really had it in our marriage with our pastor and his wife. They've always encouraged us and pushed us to not settle for a mediocre marriage or, you know, we don't let stuff hang. And so you see that and what having those people in your life can do to, like, push you to the next level. Yeah. But it's when they walk alongside you yeah. in those goals. Yeah, I remember when talking with John Trent, we did the his best. yeah his podcast, and the one thing that I took away, well, one out of many things I took away from that was really what we're all about is we're really all about community. Yeah, and how important community is, and you know, you and I are believers, and so we kind of grow up in you know I didn't grow up in the church, but you know. When Diane and I came to know God and everything, we had this amazing community. And I was just blown away at the community that was in Silver State Striders. Yeah. 
and and so it was it's it's very amazing to have a support system a community of people and that and to make go through life without it just wouldn't it would suck yeah you know yeah yeah, yeah. Let's go to another part of your story. Okay. And that is Jimmy and his, he, he had a, he, he, he didn't have a really couple of good years there for, <laughs> for, for a while and he was diagnosed with cancer. Yeah. So from your side of that, how, how was that? How did that shape? I mean, one thing about identity and growing mm-hmm. is it never stops. <laughs> and so we have these things in our life. You know, you chose to go run 100 miles. Jimmy obviously did not choose to have cancer. Yeah. And so that's a thing that being somebody maybe like yourself who likes to have, you know, control and, and mm. let's plan it and do all these things. And, and so how did that, how did that work? And with you and, and maybe your identity, how did it, how did it test that? Yeah, it scared me so bad. Because I just can't imagine life without Jimmy, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think he had a very treatable cancer. and But it was scary. But I think, you know, I don't think anyone who gets diagnosed with cancer is like... I don't think that anyone ever doesn't think the worst of the worst possible outcome at some point in it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I worried about it a lot. Because I think... I remember he told me he found a lump and, you know... A man finds a lump there. He said at his age, it's probably cancer based on what, you know, WebMD told him. The one time WebMD is right that you have cancer. And actually probably did help like push him to go get checked out and all that. So if you, if anyone went around me ever has a lump, don't come ask me if you should get checked out because I'll panic. Uh, (laughs) So he told me he had a lump and I said, don't be ridiculous. He had just run like a two hour PR and his 50 K like, I was like, that's crazy. Like, no. And I held on to hope for a really long time that it was just not cancer. And that, well, a long time, the like week that we had before right. from when he, which seemed probably like an eternity. Yeah, it did. And he, you know, the doctor even said like, you know, we don't know that it's cancer, but I bet my house on it. And I was like, but it still could not be. You know, like so, like I said, denial, right? Optimist, denial, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. And so I think that was, that was scary. And then the chemo just wrecked him. And, you know, he wasn't, you go from having somebody who's like, your best friend that you do everything, you know, you go running together, you ride dirt bikes together. Like we have so much fun together. And then he can't even after chemo, he he can barely get to the bathroom that's inside the bedroom, you know? And it's like, and you just want him to live, but then, you know, and there's nothing that like caretakers can do in cancer really. I mean, you can, you can get him. But you can't change it. And that's, you know, I like goals and working hard. And I remember talking to somebody and I said, you know, if there's like some soup I could make that would take me eight hours to make it, but it would make them feel better, I would do it. You know, like I just wish there was something that I could work harder and like fix it. And so that was really hard not being able to help. 
I think, and having to like leave the overall outcome up right. to God too. That's tough. Yeah. So how, and this, you know, these aren't easy questions, but how did it test your faith? I don't know. In the moment, like, you know God is good, and you've seen him do so much good in your life, and there was, I don't know that, it tested my faith, I think, in bigger ways, in some ways, just, you know God is good, but you hope that the good that God has planned for you is the good you want. Mm. And if Jimmy hadn't made it, God would still be good. But it wouldn't be the good that I wanted. Wow. And I think that was hard. And trusting that God is good, but not trying to, like, not basing that faith on Jimmy's. Like uh, the outcome. Yeah, on his outcome and recovery. Yeah. So that was hard. Diane helped me a ton, you know, and I remember something she said that has stuck with me. She said, anytime you face your mortality, it's hard. And I think it also made eternity that much more real. Interesting. Because, like, life is short, whether we have 30 years or 80 or 100. Like, that's really not that long. You know, and eternity's forever. And I want, like, in a place where cancer is not going to be there, and eternity is very important because if Jimmy didn't make it here, I wanted to know that he was going to be in eternity. Yeah. And that I'd be there too someday, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So I think, like, those things, like, it was really hard. But then, and I, man, God just showed up. I, it, there were so many ways in it that God had coordinated that no one could have coordinated. And that whenever I needed it, there would be a small reminder that God saw me. And like what we were going through, like... Give me an example. Well, you were one. I don't know. I don't even know why you called me one day. We were going to his chemo class, and I don't know what I was, I don't know what I was doing. I don't think we ever got around to why you called, but I was just a mess, and you talked to me through it, but it was like in that moment, and then like, I think one of the hardest parts is the person that I depend on so much needed me to hold it together, and so I feel like so many people in my life got, they had a tough go with me. Because I no longer had my support that I go to so much and is like the stronger, better partner and all of this, you know? So I think that, but do you remember that? I vaguely remember that. And I have no idea why you called. Yeah. But like, I just needed somebody to talk to and I was so scared and I cried and we talked and prayed together and... (laughs) Why you called, I still have no idea. I don't even know if I remember it, to be honest with you, but... Yeah, God has a way of doing that kind of stuff, doesn't he? That, and then a gal 
came to the running group one night right before he started chemo. And I think I had met her once before maybe, and she had been through cancer. And so it was just like having someone who knew and understood and like Diane, you know, with everything you guys have gone through with health stuff, understanding that the caretaking side of it and what it looks like and the fears that you have as you watch your spouse go through something so terrible, just having those people around that understood and, you know, our life group at church, man, they were there every for everything. Like, yeah, and always checking in and calling and rearranging the schedule so we could still get together, but maybe not at our house or and just, gosh, you can't even list all the people, but the girls, you know, of the running of the Shriders, just all, and Angie Cooper would run at lunch with me and listen to everything. Annie and Katie would long run with me and listen to everything. And Casey, you know, two days before Jimmy started chemo, Casey drove me down to get another qualifier because I couldn't miss one, you know, and paced me even though she was injured. And just it's, the community is insane. It's, it's just, incredible, yeah. isn't it? So I think like those points where I knew God saw me, and I wasn't alone in it, were huge, but I still, I still wanted the outcome I wanted. Yeah. That's the toughest part, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. In anything, but especially when it's something that big, you know? Yeah. So through all of that going on, how do you think that affected your, you know, who you are and, you know, who you your identity and and do you do you feel like well tell me do you think what what happened out of all that for your for your identity or the way you look at life Mm. I think my faith is a lot stronger not because I got what I wanted but I mean I guess there's some of that in there but I think knowing I can leave the scarier stuff in God's hands I know, yeah, I still get spun up over dumb things, but I've been able to let go of a lot more stuff I wanted to control. I think my empathy is a lot higher to anyone going through just about anything. Interesting, yeah. Because I think, like, sometimes there's a, a desire to rank your struggles hmm. and say, like, oh, well, mine isn't that bad. And obviously, some is much worse. Like, but... If it's the hard that you're experiencing for the first time, it's hard for you. And so I think my empathy and I think being so young, going through it too, you don't like that whole, like, oh, be kind. You don't know what someone's going through. Like, just because you see like a young gal at the store who's like, I cut off so many people when I was driving in that time period of life. Cause I, I don't know. I was thinking about everything but driving and like, <laughs> But, like, it's true. Just because you look young and healthy doesn't mean, like, that someone isn't going through something. You know, so I think, like, having that experience, too, like, sometimes, you know, I'm not always patient, but I think my empathy has gotten a bit stronger. Yeah. If you were going to give somebody any advice about how to handle trauma, Mm. what would you say? I think like find your people 
someone you can trust and talk to and it doesn't have to be that many people but I think something in the running group that I found that's so unique is that we all go through periods of suffering in the races so it's kind of natural to see your friends suffering and I don't know that that is as common to find outside of the ultra running community but if you can find someone who can listen and support you unjudgmentally through your suffering mm-hmm. um, and trauma and that you can trust, I think that that is worth everything. Yeah. I think one of the most incredible things that I've ever, I ever saw with, especially with you running the Western States and Jimmy's cancer, when he went through his cancer victory, really. Yeah. Because he's now... He's now clean and healthy of that. And for four years. For four years, yeah. and you know, it's gone. And it was Jill Trent. Jill's the best. I will just never forget how she, one day I was, I don't know, probably at a running event or something, and Jill basically looked at you like you were one of hers. <laughs> Mama bear, you know, <laughs> like no one's going to mess with Lauren at all. And it, I mean, I know during that time you were really going through it and, and then running the race and just that characteristic of Jill to take in mm. people and love them as her own. I thought, man, there's the community is just so amazing. I just who, where do you find this? And I found it in other places in our pockets, you know. Mm-hmm. But in in that crazy sport, finding this incredibly amazing couple and their family yeah. that literally take you in like their family. It, I've I've just never seen anything like it. I think we all. I think every Strider feels like we're adopted by the trends, you know, and, and I think, I think we say the sport, but I think the striders is special too. Yeah. I think we're a little, I think we might be a little bit much for some people, but yeah, we are. Yeah. And that's okay. (laughs) That's the acid test. Yeah. But I think if you want somebody to be up in your business and get to know everything about you since the time you were born till today, like we're your people. Yeah. 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 So crazy. Yeah. 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 We have to put like John, I think John's leadership of the group and the way he cares about everybody so much, you know, probably actually going back to talking about how my dad treated everybody. John's the same way. Everybody's so important and more the most important, you know, and I think that leadership style is so incredible and John does it as well or better than anybody. Yeah. Yeah. I think to be in the club, you have to spend a couple hours with your husband and John Trent (laughs) If you don't like them, I'm sorry. You can't be a part. <laughs> You're out. You're out. <laughs> but everyone loves them, so That's everybody's right. in. Yeah. If you don't like them, there's something really yeah. you got you got some issues. So So I we'll we'll end with this. This question. And okay. that is what are the probably the top three? What are three things that you would say have shaped your life out of you know, in your entire go back and look at your life. What are the what are three things that have shaped who you are today? Mm. I think, man, I have to say my parents, obviously, I feel like that's an easy one, but it's true. You know, they, 
they set a great example for me growing up. And I'd say my parents and Jesus and Jimmy. So, parents, Jesus, and Jimmy. Yeah. I love that. And then, man, it's so hard to pick three. How do you pick just three? You don't have to, really. Okay. You can add on. Yeah. I mean, like, the trends and our pastor and his wife and, you know, you and Diane. Like, it's just like, there's so many. Like, how do you, yeah. like, friends all along the way, my roommates and yeah. coworkers and my boss now. He actually just left for another job, but he's another great leader, you know, and I think like there's so many people like it's just it's like it's all the people, you know. Yeah, it's the people. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a defining moment in your life where you took a turn? Can you ever think of that? Yeah, I think I think when I decided to pursue my faith for myself, not just because that's what our family did. I think that that obviously it was like a domino effect, right? Then I met Jimmy, and but when I made it a priority in my life, I, I, it just it changed everything, you know. I think you're knowing that God's real and that your life has a purpose, and everything hinges on that now, and what those purposes are, and why what it looks like in my different activities. I'm not always sure, but I think that that was probably, I would say that was probably my defining, probably the biggest choice I could make. It's incredible. Well, I tell you what, I've had a blast. Me too. Just getting, you know, we don't know, sometimes, you know, you don't know the, the backgrounds and the and everything. So it's just so incredible to to find out more and and now you know you you could look back i love looking back and going oh yeah that's yeah that i can see that i you know i i, I almost know your parents you know because yeah. you can you see so much and so thank you so much for being here today it's yeah. been incredible thank you it's been awesome i can't wait to hear yours <laughs> <laughs> okay okay <laughs> thank you lauren for sharing your story with us I always feel uplifted and encouraged when I'm around Lauren. Lauren has that ability to make you feel as though you're the only person that matters when you talk to her. A couple of takeaways that I thought were inspiring was her faith was bolstered and increased when Jimmy got cancer, unfortunately. She said, you know, God is good and you've seen him do so much good in your life. It tested my faith. But you hope that the good that God has planned for you is the good you want. If Jimmy hadn't made it, God would still be good. But it wouldn't be the good that I wanted. I love her honesty and vulnerability. Also, her advice to anyone going through tough times or trauma, to find their people, someone to talk to, people that have gone through stuff. I just want to thank you again, Lauren, for sharing your story with us. You have been listening to the Who Do You Think You Are podcast with Ken Castrico. If you'd like more of this or want to learn more about my community, go to www.endurancelead.com. Make sure you hit the follow button so you don't miss another episode. Thank you for listening.